We, we do the love series. I used to do it every year when I was a youth minister, and uh, now we do it every two years. So we did it in 2020. And so those of you that have been coming for a while have heard these things before. Um, so I want you to understand that uh, we use love in a lot of different ways, don't we? Yes. All right. So on the count of three, I want you to say your favorite food. One, two, three. Pizza. I heard somebody say pizza for sure. So have you ever said, those of you that, that you know, that whatever your favorite food is, have you ever said, I love that? Yes. Yeah? I love pizza. I love chocolate cake. Right? Right? How many people in this room um, uh, have a pet? How many have a pet? Okay. Do you love your pet? Yes. <laughs> Miss Mary said, no, I do not love my pet. But I bet some of you would say, I love my pet, right? Yes. All right. How many of you in this room are married? Right. So uh, how many of you in this room have kids? Would you say you love your kids? Uh, if you're married, would you say you love your spouse? Now, here's the question. Do we really mean the same thing when we use love in all those different ways? When I say I love chocolate cake, does that mean the same thing as when I say I love my kid or I love my spouse? If I say I love my pet, does that mean the same thing as I love my kid or my spouse? Hopefully you understand that there are differences here. There are distinctions here. We really overuse the word love because for many of us um, growing up in our culture, it expresses an emotion that we're having, an emotion uh, of attachment, of good feeling towards something or someone. But what I tried to help you understand last week is that the basic definition for love, and this is really going down to that bottom level, right? The three kids that form the bottom of the pyramid of God's love. God's love is called what again? What's the Greek word? Say agape. That's the, that's the noun, all right? Agape. And so 1 Corinthians 13, when you saw the Reader's Theater up here, the four people that were doing that, that was actually 1 Corinthians 13. I didn't write that. I just took 1 Corinthians 13 and divided it up into four different characters so that they could all say it. But that was 1 Corinthians 13. If you look at the old King James Version of 1 Corinthians 13, did you know it does not use the word love there? What word do you think it uses? Anybody who's a King James reader know? It uses the word charity instead of love. But it is the Greek verb agapao, right? Which is the same as the Greek noun agape. It's that word for love. It is God's love. It is giving love. It is unselfish love. It is unconditional love. And we'll probably talk about uh, more focus on that particular type of love next week. But that's the basic definition of love. Well, if you understand that love, the definition that I've given is one that I took from C.S. Lewis, and he's the one that came up with this idea of the four loves originally. In fact, C.S. Lewis has a book that is titled The Four Loves. I can recommend it. Now, it might be written in language that uh, is not very contemporary, and some of the things that he says may fly over your head. But it is a very, very good book. And if you want to understand where I got this perspective many years ago, it is from C.S. Lewis and it is from that, word, that uh, work called The Four Loves. And he uses these four words. Um, 
that we have used today. The last one that I didn't use in the pyramid is storge, and that's because storge really is affection, and I see it as existing in all of the three other loves. But again, we'll get into that more later. But let's go back to this idea of loving chocolate cake. Does that mean that I'm acting in the best interest of chocolate cake? No, that, that's the definition that I've given you of love that comes from C.S. Lewis. Love is acting in the best interest of the other person. Well, first of all, chocolate cake isn't even a person, is it? No. Hopefully you understand that. Uh, we've all watched too many movies if we think chocolate cake is a person. Um, your pets, I know some of you think your pet is a person, but your pet is not a person. Your pet is a phenomenal creation of God. But um, you can act in the best interest of your pet. That is possible, right? But to say that loving your pet is the same as loving your spouse is obviously not saying the same thing, right? Um, perhaps we could use different words if we wanted to. We could say something on the line of, I enjoy chocolate cake, right? Or I adore my cat or my dog, right? Um, if you have uh, you know, a close friendship relationship, you probably would use the word like for that, correct? I like this person. You may or may not use the word love. I have friends that say, I love you. Some people, that, that word rolls off their tongue easily and some people it doesn't. Have you noticed that? Love you, mean it, click. I've got a, I've got a, a young person that I mentored for, for many years and uh, he randomly calls me on a regular basis and at the end of every phone call, he'll say, love you, Pastor D, click, right? And I think he means it. Uh, that's, that's his way of expressing it. But not everybody has that sense of being able to say, I love you to another person very easily. So again, love means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but it is often an expression of emotion or really affection. And that's what the fourth kind of love called storge, say storge. Storge. That's what it is. It's affection. So. I can feel enjoyment, attachment, affection toward a lot of different things. Really, uh, people have a great attachment to their phone. I love my phone, right? I love that video game. There's all sorts of things that we feel attachment to uh, that uh, you know we have uh, uh, and we enjoy, and we would use the word love for. But what I want you to see is that we shouldn't cheapen love by using it so lightly. We should understand that really love fundamentally is for other people. In fact, agape love, the, the reason that this love exists is because it is the glue that holds people together. The, the relationship type that we would associate with God's love, agape love, is any human relationship. If you enter into a relationship with a human being, it shouldn't be for any other reason other than you love them, right? Now, even a business relationship, I can enter into that with more than uh, an expedient or utilitarian motive where I just wanna get something out of this other person that I'm entering into the relationship with. Every human relationship should be founded on this agape love or this God love. And then as, a, as you saw with the pyramid, you build up from there. The next relationship, and by the way, agape love is unconditional. That means that nobody can earn this type of love. You don't earn God's love and we don't earn other people's love. But we do, and I posted this yesterday or the day before uh, on my uh, on Facebook page. I just put three words, respect is earned. Would you agree? Yes, sir. 
Respect is earned. Um, the next type of love is philia. It's friendship love and it is family love, right? And that type of love is for a select group of people, your family, your friends. Everybody's not your friend. You may be friendly to everybody, but everybody's not your friend, nor should they be. You need to be able to trust your friends and you need to be able to enter into a relationship with someone who respects you and you return that respect. So it's selective. It's not unconditional. I should not be friends with everybody. It's conditioned on that trust and some other things that we'll talk about when we talk about friendship love. So that's the next level up. But it's building itself up on that foundation of God's love, agape. So then we have philia. And then there is the most selective love. It is, in fact, exclusive love, and that is eros. Now, where our culture is going insane today is with that type of love, or at least with the affection that is associated with that type of love. Sex is the affection that is associated with eros love. Although one can be in an eros or romantic relationship, and there may be times when it is sexual and times when it is not, but this is married love. This is the kind of love that God designed for a husband and a wife to express their affection for one another, and it is exclusive. This is why you have a problem, or you should have a problem, if uh, your spouse is going outside the marriage relationship and entering into either an emotionally intimate relationship or a physically intimate relationship with another person. And it doesn't matter the gender of the person. This type of love is exclusively for a man and for a woman who are willing to commit themselves to each other for life. Now, I have an illustration coming from uh, one person that I think will help you to understand how these different types of love interact. And it is the person who is the author of the book that I mentioned earlier, uh, C.S. Lewis. So I'm going to read a little uh, a uh, little statement that I wrote about C.S. Lewis and the woman that C.S. Lewis married and ended, ended up falling in love with, whose name was Joy Grisham. Valentine's Day makes love, or the question, what is love, a pertinent question. My favorite writer on the subject of love didn't get married until he was 58, and even then, it was for charitable and not romantic reasons. C.S. Lewis married Joy Gresham in a government office to help her gain British citizenship. A few, months, a few months later, Joy was diagnosed with cancer and her condition deteriorated rapidly. Jack, as Lewis was known by his friends, chose to love and care for Joy. The feeling between them grew, and nearly a year after the marriage of utility, there was a hospital wedding presided over by a clergyman from the Church of England. Till death do us part was a potent reality. Joy left the hospital to convalesce. It was not until this point that she moved in with Jack. So they were married, but they didn't even live together initially. God worked, and Joy's cancer went into remission. Jack and Joy lived happily for three more years until the cancer returned, and she died. Jack wept. C.S. Lewis understood love as no one else whom I have read on the subject. At first, this understanding was philosophical and academic. He wrote The Four Loves, a magnificent work describing the different loves 
uh, describing the different types of love and their corresponding relationships. Lewis used Greek words to define each love. Agape is God's unconditional gift love, exemplified in Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. Philia is the love between family and friends. It is called, quote, the milk of human kindness, unquote, by Plato. Eros is erotic love. And by the way, that's where we get our English word erotic. It comes from the Greek word eros. It is erotic or sexual love designed by God to exist between one man and one woman for life. And finally, there is storge, the ugliest word in this group, in my opinion. Uh, and it is what we would call affection. It is its own love, but it is also found in each of the previous three, expressing itself appropriately in different relationships. We can see all four loves operating in the relationship between Jack and Joy. Agape love is more rational than emotional. It looks after the best interest of the other person. That is what Lewis did for the American Joy Gresham when he offered to marry her in order to give her the benefit of British, British citizenship. Their relationship was platonic, so there's a, a word that means that it was, it was non-sexual, it was friend-oriented, right? A platonic relationship. Uh, they didn't live together or enjoy a conjugal pleasure. However, Jack and Joy became good friends. They were both authors and enjoyed many of the same things. They spent time together. There was growing affection, their storge, between them. Finally, romantic love began to bloom. When the tragedy of cancer struck, Jack knew he wanted to marry Joy in the eyes of God. Thus, the church ceremony in Joy's hospital room. Their final years together were spent with the expected intimacy of a married couple. C.S. Lewis lived out his creed. He was little like men of his day, even less like men of ours. Jack entered into a relationship with Joy Gresham, which was initially a friendship or philia relationship. Even after they were married, uh, the first time. It is important to note that the relationship between Joy and Jack did not become romantic or sexual, that's Eros love, until after the two were married in the eyes of God. It was God's love, his agape, that drew Jack and Joy together and sustained them in her illness. And it is this love from God that is, which strengthened Jack in his grief when Joy was gone. What is love? It is indeed a many splendored thing. But fundamentally, love is a genuine concern for another. Love is the commitment to act in the best interest of the beloved, regardless of self-interest. So the next time you are attracted to someone, ask yourself, is this really love or is it something else? And don't act on the basis of your desire or feeling. Do what is right and what is best for the one you love. Amen? So I think that the, the one who really came up with this concept of the four loves is a sterling example of what we're referring to. Now, I began to teach this perspective over 30 years ago when I was in youth ministry because I saw a lot of teenagers, and, and this is still happening today, I'm sure, although I'm not a youth minister anymore, who were pairing up and playing marriage. They were entering into these little mini marriages. And friends, this happens all the way down. It doesn't just happen with teenagers. It's the way we think of relationships today. We think of relationships uh, with this kind of romantic framework. And so I've even seen, you know, parents of little kids and, you know, oh, look at the, you know, here, here's my four-year-old and this is this four-year-old and, and, and see, you know, how they're, they're pairing up. Like it's, you know, the, like it's a dating relationship or something. Like it's a mini marriage. And 
my problem with this is I don't think it's God's design at all to conduct ourselves in that way. And further, what you will discover, if you haven't already, is that when you play marriage in these relationships, you're also uh, practicing divorce because it is a rare occasion when a couple that start, start dating, let's say, in middle school or early high school, end up going all the way through and getting married. Now, I think that for some people, particularly some young ladies, there may be a tendency to say, no, 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 I know that's the one. But see, you don't know this until you're ready and that person is ready to make a married person's commitment. And that's more than attraction. That's more than, uh, than affection. That is uh, a willingness and a capability to sustain that relationship and to support one another independent of other people. So here's the thing, don't play marriage until you're married. And don't enter into an exclusive relationship with someone until you are at a place where you can begin to, uh, as they used to say in uh, earlier times in our country, you can begin to court them. I think that you can develop a very, very powerful friendship relationship. And when we talk about friendship, hopefully you will see that this doesn't mean that it is a substandard relationship. We have cheapened friendship. Friendship is a very, very powerful relationship. And in fact, if you're not friends with your spouse, talk to couples that have been married and they're gonna tell you that there is an ebb and flow to the intimacy side of the relationship. But because friendship is a choice, it's a decision, it's rational, right? Then it can sustain you through times when the intimacy is not uh, where perhaps it had been when you were younger or where you would necessarily like for it to be, right? Now, um, if you uh, have a, a bulletin, and in fact, I thought my notes would be on this, um, but I don't see them here. Um, Craig, is there a bulletin back there somewhere? that I can get a hold of, or I can bring up the, actually I can probably bring up, there we go, right here. Okay, so if you've got a bulletin, I'll help you with this. Um, you should be able to fill in the first one. What are the four loves? What are they? Agape, philia, eros, and storge, okay? So you can remember that, how it breaks down. Now, I didn't say this, I'll say this now. Two of those loves are more rational, they're more thought-oriented than feeling-oriented. And the ones that are more rational, I choose, decide, I make a commitment apart from uh, overwhelming feelings, are agape, that's the most rational. In fact, that word, before Christians got a hold of that word and uh, helped us to understand that this is the best way to understand God's love, it was actually a very sterile and cold term in Greek. It became warm when it was associated with Jesus and his death on the cross for us. But it's very rational. That's why I said to you last week, you can love someone that you don't even like, right? You can choose to act in their best interest. The other love that is more rational, not exclusively rational, there are plenty of emotions, is philia, friendship. You should choose to be friends with someone because you all have something in common, because there's mutual respect, because there's mutual trust, because there's mutual loyalty. 
right? So you make a decision to do that. And then the two that are the most emotional, that's number three. Well, that's obviously um, eros, very emotional love, right? I have fallen in love with that person. I'm not going to cheapen that. I think that those feelings are, are overwhelming. They're, they're very powerful. But I want you to know that there are things going on when you fall in love with someone. There are things going on besides love. There is, there's desire, right? Sexual desire is often called lust in the negative side, but there's desire for that person. And there is attachment. You, you begin to identify with and feel attached to that. This is just a, a lot of overwhelming, powerful emotions that are here. But see, if that is the basis of your relationship, it's like turning a pyramid upside down. You're trying to balance it on, on the top rather than on a strong foundation. So even if you've fallen in love with someone, you need to backtrack and use your brain and establish that foundation of God's agape love because it's not love unless that is the foundation. And you need to begin to develop a good friendship because if this person is someone that you think is a candidate for marriage, the two of you need to be good friends. And that means you need to learn to get along. You need to learn to have things in common. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be utterly alike. In fact, uh, it is uh, some of the differences that will make the relationship beautiful. But you have to have things in common. So I taught this perspective for many years, and then I started this church. And so I started having married couples uh, that were listening to it. And there was uh, a man who was in our church at the time who was going through a divorce with his wife. And he'd been married to her for 20 years at that point. And he said, you know, Pastor Darrell, I wish I had learned this concept a long time ago because he, and he uses his wife's name, we didn't have anything in common, he said. They were attracted to one another, obviously, when they got married and they had children. But he said, we just really didn't have anything in common. He liked to do one set of things. She liked to do another set of things. They'd be in the same house and they'd just be in separate rooms doing their own thing. Sadly, I think that this is the case with all too many marriages. So once again, there's an attraction between the two, right? There's romance. But then the romantic candle begins to dim and they find they just don't have anything in common. And so as quickly as they fell in love, they say, well, we're not in love anymore. And I would say then it was never founded on God's agape love to begin with. This is how you're going to keep a marriage together. It can't be based on feelings. It's got to be based on God's love, this commitment to act in the best interest of that person, because you're going to have good times and bad times. That's why the old uh, marriage vows say for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do we part. You understand? Because there will be good times and bad times. Married couples, you know this, right? We've just gone through two years of difficulty, challenges, right? It may not be bad times because your relationship is having a hard time. There may be external forces that are pushing on you Right? This could be illness, this could be financial problems, um, this could be a difference in expectations. This is why every couple that I uh, officiate a wedding for, I make uh, them go through premarital counseling because marriage is a covenant, it's a contract, it's an agreement. And the conditions of a marriage contract, well, we say things like the marriage vows, 
right? Or you might, you know, those of you that are married, you might have written your own vows and so forth. But the, the real conditions of every relationship, especially these intimate relationships, are the expectations that are there. And so the man has certain expectations. He might not have even brought those all the way to the surface in his own thinking. They, they might still be unconscious expectations, right? Often the woman is the one who has thought through all of these things, right? And, but she still may not have brought that forth and, and made those expectations known to this partner of hers, this, this potential spouse of hers. Well, what premarital counseling can do is bring those things to the surface so that you alter and adjust your expectations. And then you don't have these secrets that you weren't intending to keep perhaps, but that come up later in the relationship. And you say, I didn't know you thought that. I didn't know you felt that way. What's that all about? That's, that's not the man I married, right? Well, it really is the man you married. You just didn't know at the time, right? So uh, nonetheless, that's why I, I advocate very strongly for couples to build a solid friendship. Quit playing marriage. Start enjoying a friendship with this person. Go out and do things together. And by the way, friends are not exclusive. Two friends love to have a third friend come along and hang out. Three friends love to have a fourth friend come and hang out, right? So when you're just starting out and you're developing that friendship, there shouldn't be any problem in having a third wheel or going out with another couple and working through all of those things. That's important because it's helping you understand who this person really is, right? And friends need to learn to be honest with each other. And again, I'll get to this when we talk about friendship relationships. But oftentimes in dating relationships, we're seeking to put our best foot forward. The problem is, is when you get married, you get to see that person first thing in the morning and you get to smell their breath, right? And you get to deal with all of those things. And so you can't continuously put your best foot forward. So as the relationship progresses, you've got to learn to get along with that person when they're not at their best, right? Okay, so, um, and so you should be able to fill these others in. Number four, agape is God's love, the foundation of the rest. Number five, philia is friendship love. It is mutual and selective. Number six, eros is romantic love. It is exclusive and the basis for marriage. And number six, excuse me, number seven is storge is affection and it is found in the other three. And again, I'm just overviewing these now. We'll dig down deep into each one in the coming weeks. But storge expresses itself in each of the other loves. Affection can be something as simple as showing someone attention, okay? So this is agape love and you encounter someone and you can just think my life is too full. I can't deal with this right now. I don't even wanna look at that person, right? This is what we're trying to foster and encourage when we do a welcome in church. We wanna get you to step outside of your comfort zone, walk across the aisle, go to someone else, shake their hand, look them in the eye. And by the way, this is how I can show love even for someone that I don't like too much. I can simply choose to show them positive attention uh, rather than ignore them or show them contempt and so forth. Um, so there's, those are examples of storge expressing itself within agape love. Storge expressing itself in friendship love. It depends on how you are with your friends. Uh, in some cultures, it is common to share a kiss 
that has nothing whatsoever to do with sex or romance, right? There's the, the, the famous French kiss on, the, on both cheeks um, in Scripture. On a couple of occasions, the Apostle Paul says uh, that uh, Christians should share a holy kiss. And I'm not planning on doing that, so, you know, that's what you want to do with one another. That's fine, but not, not a fan. Um, but I'm just trying to show you that kissing someone doesn't have to be a sexual thing at all. That could be something two friends share. Or hugs. That's really often what we associate with friendship. But, you know, a lot of dudes that are friends, we don't want to hug. I mean, we might do the whole man like that, you know, but we'd probably rather do like a fist bump or, you know, maybe go to a BJJ class and just wrestle around with each other and throw each other on the mat. That's how we would express that, uh, that affection. But that's nonetheless friendship. Um, and then, of course, the, the affection that we associate with romantic love is uh, sexual intimacy. But even leading into that, that's when the kiss can change from a friendship kiss to a romantic kiss. Now, I'm not saying that this has to be, quote unquote, deep kissing, and I'm not going to get into details here, right? Um, or, quote unquote, French kissing. That's not what I'm talking about. You know the difference in feeling. When your mom kisses you, you're, you're, you're a guy. When your mom kisses you, and then when that girl kisses you, they just don't feel the same, do they? It's just not the same. There might be the same amount of time that lip is pressed to either lip or cheek, but there's something else that's coming through. There's something else that's happening, right? And again, I'll get into this uh, when we talk about these individual loves, but I want you to see that uh, romantic love is not exclusively just another word for sex, right? In fact, when we get to that type of love, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this. And this is something you can memorize right now. Sex is not love. Why don't you just say that? Sex is not love. It's not. There's people that say, oh, we, you know, we were making love. No, you weren't. You just really weren't. Sex is not love. It is possible for sex to express love, but sex is not love. In fact, in my experience as a pastor and as a youth minister, I have seen sex ruin more relationships than help. So we think that that's the, the end-all, be-all, and it's not really the end-all, be-all, but it is a very, very important component to eros love when it is carried out, when it is completed, all right? So these are questions that I will leave you with as we conclude this. It's been more of a, a talk, maybe, more of an intellectual exercise, uh, not even so much of a motivational sermon or anything like that. Um, but uh, hopefully it gives you an idea of where we're going and it gives you the ability to break down your relationships and evaluate them. But number eight asks, which kind of love is the most neglected? Now, I just got finished uh, rereading a part of C.S. Lewis's chapter on friendship and C.S. Lewis believed that friendship was the type of love that was the most neglected. And I will say, I don't know that that is the case for you, but I will say that there are a lot of lonely people in the world today, aren't there? And in fact, you know, during all of the, the drama we've experienced for the last two years plus years, the, the politics and the, the pandemic and the protests, there's been a lot of division and a lot of isolation. And I would say that many people have fewer friends. And there are some people that don't feel like they have any friends at all. So friendship may be the love that is the most 
uh, neglected. Which kind of love is the most misunderstood? Well, I'll leave that with you. You need to you need to look at your experience. You could say, well, agape is. People don't understand it at all. You may say friendship is. People don't understand, you know, in an age of friends with benefits, they don't understand what a friendship is. Or you could say that eros is misunderstood because, uh, you know, people just simply associate that with sex itself. And finally, uh, number 10, which of the four is most like love as you have defined it? So when you've thought of love in the past, before coming into this teaching that I have, which of those types of love most aligns with what you had associated with love? Was it affection? That's storge. Was it God's love, his sacrificial love, Jesus' love on the cross? Was it friendship love, family love, the milk of human kindness? Or was it romantic love, right? I'll let you make those determinations and those decisions. One way or the other, you need to understand that God is love and we enter into a relationship with God because Jesus expressed his love for us on the cross. And so if we're going to have love, the love that we desire, and we all do desire to have love, then we're going to need to meet the one who is love. God is love. And so I would offer you that opportunity as we enter into this next time of worship to either enter into that relationship for the first time or to refresh that relationship with God, that love relationship with God. Uh, believe it or not, there is a book in the Bible uh, that is about sex. It's about romantic love, right? And it is uh, called the Song of Solomon, or sometimes it's called the Song of Songs. And uh, in that type of love, we see the relationship between a man and his, his prospective bride. Would it surprise you to note that throughout the history of the church, that teachers and preachers saw the woman in that Song of Songs to be the church, that's you and I, and the, the groom, the man in Song of Songs, to be Christ. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter five, it clearly says that the relationship between a husband and a wife is symbolic of the relationship between Christ and his church. What am I saying? I'm saying that Jesus wants to be intimate with you. And again, don't associate intimacy always with, with sexual love. Intimate means uh, this, this interactive love where two people are as close as they can be. Nobody can be closer to you than Jesus if you will open your heart and allow him to come inside.